Hello, and welcome to Profit's Healthcare Changemakers podcast, where we'll be talking to leaders in healthcare who are focused on transforming their organizations to drive the next level of growth for their business and for healthcare. At Profit, we believe that the organizations that thrive in healthcare are those that dare to change the game, striving to improve human health, create better experiences, and make the best of care an enduring and sustainable reality for all. Those that will transform healthcare are the changemakers. And for this podcast, we want to focus on them. Our podcast dials into and recognizes the people behind the transformation and their journeys in changing the game one story at a time. Are you ready to dive in? I am Jeff Gorgie. I am hosting this week's podcast, and I'm very pleased to have with me Alyssa Jaffe, who's a partner at Seven Wire Ventures, a healthcare venture capital firm. Alyssa, welcome. Thank you, Jeff, for having me. It's great to be here. All right. Well, it's a pleasure. So first of all, tell us about yourself and how you became an investor in digital health. Absolutely. Well, if you can believe it or not, I did not grow up as a little girl dreaming of being a venture capitalist, but I did find myself here and I'm so grateful for it. I am operator turned investor. So I used to launch enterprise technologies in healthcare, did solution selling. I worked for the advisory board company for a long time. If you know the folks over there, wonderful people, and eventually left there for business school. So I went to University of Chicago at Booth, and then I transitioned more to the investing side. So I worked for two smaller funds, and then I actually did start my own company. I raised a small round, about a million bucks for that business. We ended up, I transitioned the board, we sold that company, and I went more institutional investing. And at that point, I went to go work for the Pritzkers, JB, who's now governor of Illinois, his brother, Tony about $8 billion in AUM, three asset classes. And I spent my time doing exclusively venture and mostly healthcare investing. And about four years ago, I'd known the 7 Wire team forever. And I thought very highly of them. From my vantage point, they were one of the best early stage healthcare funds in the country and in my backyard. And so I made the leap and came over now as one of the four investing partners. Personally, I live in Chicago. I grew up in Chicago. I, my husband actually is from Chicago and we found our way back and now we have three boys. So my life is chaos, but mostly the good kind. Well, and I know that some of that becomes fodder and content for your, I don't know, your Twitter feed or your LinkedIn feed or, or something about uh, not just the chaos of having three boys, but also your personal experience in the healthcare ecosystem. Absolutely. It's very important as an investor to be able to understand how to look at the world through other people's eyes, to have empathy and understand the experiences of others. But it's also quite powerful to have your own lived experiences. And I've had three birthing experiences. I've that all were quite different and I'm very privileged and I've had access to some of the best healthcare in the world and it still was incredibly challenging. And so at SevenWire, our thesis is what we call the informed, connected health consumer. So everything that we do is about helping people be better stewards of their health and thinking about healthcare technology and services, meeting people where they are. And so in that vein, as we think about becoming an empowered consumer, I felt that way myself. And I'll, I will and our team will, and we'll frankly dedicate our whole life and 
a couple of lifetimes over and to try and make that happen. I'm going to go back to you personally in just a second, Alyssa, but I just want to pick up on your thread because I, as you you and I talked before we started recording about the book I wrote, one of the first chapters, we talk about this idea of the e-consumer. And I borrow the term from a physician leader that had written about the e-patient, but but by the e-consumer, I don't mean that as a technical term. I write about it as the consumer that's engaged, equipped, enabled, and empowered, right? And the objective of transforming healthcare is to both find and support e-consumers and to create and facilitate, you know, more people becoming e-consumers. So your idea kind of certainly took me there, something I've written about and, and thought about quite a bit. And it's, it's a challenge, right? Because the answers aren't always easy. They're never easy, but they're easier for someone who's leaning into the healthcare system and anxious to help take control of themselves. And obviously the hardest problems are for those that are unable to become e-consumers, which is a problem that I don't think anyone's figured out yet. But Obviously, a, a discussion could be its own whole podcast. I'm nodding my head uh, profusely alongside Jeff of in the previous materials of increasingly creating connected and, and empowered consumers. I think we very much are aligned. Yeah, good. Okay, so I want to go back for just a second because I want to ask you one more, more fun personal question. I want to ask you to tell us something about yourself that cannot be found in your LinkedIn profile. Oh, you know, as a, a working mom with three kids, I feel like that is my special talent these days. But if you, if those who know me know I thrive in chaos. So I'm one of five kids. I, the more things on my plate, the better. And I love a big, full, lively household. I love, I host a lot of themed dinner parties. We just did a big Halloween themed dinner party. We host Thanksgiving with 35 people. So for me, I, and I love bringing people from different walks of life. I host friends, I host family, I host colleagues, CEOs. We actually, one of my board meetings, I did at my house um, and I hosted the board dinner at the night before at my house. And it was just, it was very nice. So for me, the, the more I can blend those worlds, the better. Well, you and I share being a parent of three boys, and I will tell you that you obviously have more energy than I ever did because when we had three young boys, we stopped doing all socializing and hosting, and obviously you've got you've got more energy than I do, so or even did. I don't know if energy is, is the right word or just insanity, but you know we'll, we'll take it. We'll take it. Maybe that's right. That's right. <laughs> well, that's right. Maybe we're talking about the same thing. All right. Well, thank you for that. So you started to say a little bit about, about Seven Wire Ventures, but actually before I ask you the first question I planned, why don't you, just because you started to go there and I didn't give you the space, just tell us about what makes it kind of unique in its space, what it's unique in its outlook, its, its, its way of uh, managing investments or anything else that you think that's kind of you know, relevant for, for our listeners. Absolutely. I mentioned our thesis, the Informed Connected Health Consumer This is our true north. This is everything that we do. But there's a couple other things that also make us quite unique as it relates to other venture firms. The second piece for us is that we're an operator-driven model. What that means is we do fewer deals and we're more concentrated in our portfolio. So it allows us the ability to get very involved with our companies. We all have operating backgrounds. We've all built companies before. The managing partners at the firm, Glenn Tolman, Lee Shapiro, are titans of industry, they were CEO and president of all scripts. Glenn was the CEO of Livongo. Lee was the CFO who stepped in to take it public and do the Teladoc merger. And today, Glenn is now CEO of Transparent. So for us, it's very much about how can we help be in the trenches with our CEOs, not just show up once a quarter to a board meeting, but really to work with them directly and focus on 
all of the ways that we can do information and knowledge transfer to, to, to help drive growth. And because of this, we can be quite creative. So we both invest in companies and we do start companies. So most notably, I mentioned the company started by the managing partners, Lavango. We started four others to date. Most recently, we started a women's health business for college-aged women to help them gain independence and agency in their healthcare journey. And maybe the third Jeff piece, just, just as you asked, what makes us different, our thesis, our operator-driven model. The third piece is what we call our Connected Consumer Coalition. About 60% of our capital, so the folks that give us money, comes from strategic investors. So our LPs, our strategic LPs, work with us and work with our companies to drive growth. And these are health plans, some of the biggest health plans in the country. These are providers. These are pharma, self-insured employers really focused on, again, being consumers of the companies that we work with and driving innovation forward. So they're not just looking for an ROI, they're looking for some solutions for themselves. Yeah, you think about, you know, Cigna is one of our big LPs. And of course, they're looking, you know, our job, we're, our fiduciary is to return capital to our limited partners, of which, you know, knock on wood, so far, we've been very successful at doing so. But for Cigna, you know, no matter what, what's the biggest impact? It's yes, it's helpful to get a return on the investment, but also it's how they can drive commercial success across the organization. That's really what moves the needle. And so creating partnerships with MSK businesses or behavioral health businesses or chronic condition companies, that is really where they see our partnership thriving. You know, listen, I'm going to stay on this for a minute because I think it's really interesting because a lot of our clients also are strategic investors in what I'll call, you know, on the side while they're operating a health plan, right? Or whatever the case may be. And I actually interviewed someone at Lavango maybe four years ago. I can't remember. And one of the blue plans had a stake in them. It was also our client. And I said, how is it going in terms of getting adoption at, at the payers? And this, you know, personal bond was talking about it's really a challenge. I said, but they're an investor; they're clearly committed. And and she said, yes, but just still culturally getting them to act and move is really hard. So my question for you, and this is a tough one, so forgive forgive me for throwing it at you. I don't know if there is an answer, but what is the secret to getting a strategic investor to adopt and become a customer of the portfolio company and and to use it for the good that they're trying to create? I know, Jeff, I get this question a lot and people want a silver bullet, like the one thing that they can do and the thing, it's not one secret, it's hundreds of little secrets. It's hundreds of little things that you're doing to build that relationship. But primarily, you know, are you solving a real problem that they care about? And that is something that you really have to understand and ingrain within that health, health plan, in that risk-bearing entity to know what's important to them. And once you know what's important to them, are you going to the right players? And so a lot of the best organizations we work with have done an amazing job bridging the financial and commercial sides of their organization where they really understand who the right stakeholders are to adapt and champion some of these solutions. It's when you don't have an internal champion that can be really, really challenging. And then are the incentives aligned? And so making sure that this is something that doesn't cause additional friction for the incumbents, but actually is something that will help make their lives easier and thus their members, their employees, their consumers' lives easier. And a lot of the ways to get the adoption rates going, and again, Lavongo was a pioneer of this, are the unglamorous ways of doing things like direct mail, doing things like outreach, staffing call centers. Again, a lot of this country right now is not you know, clicking away on apps necessarily. 
A lot of them are consuming healthcare. It's still the traditional way. And so finding ways to meet people where they are, and I know that's something that you and I have kind of communicated about before this, but that's very important to do so in order to be successful. Great. Thank you for reflecting on that one. You wrote an article in Med City News, I don't know, a couple of months ago, and I read it when it first came out. It really struck me. And I went back just as I was thinking about this conversation and I, and I read it again. One of the things you wrote, I think you wrote a couple, I may have stitched a couple of pieces of it together, but healthcare has lost the part about care and the chasm continues to widen between health and care, which is really, I think, interesting and, and simple and profound at the same time. But before we talk about how to fix it, could you just explain what you mean by that and how did we get here where health and care are divorced? Yes, my provocative title, absolutely. But the truth of it is that we're in a situation right now where so much of our healthcare system is focused on health and that the clinical aspect of health, it's focused on we care for sick people. We live in a fee-for-service world and we're focusing on how to fix the problems of sick people versus how do we help empower and encourage healthy people to retain and sustain health. And a lot of that is in care. And it's even if you think about the residency programs and they're doing a better job, but the way we train and not to say this isn't important at all, it's incredibly important to figure out how to be in the business of care delivery, but also to be in the business of caring for patients and all of that we think about social determinants of health and all of the things that impact somebody's health quality, whether it be their transportation or access, whether it be their food and nutrition, whether it be their communication abilities, that those have sometimes been underperforming and underserved when it comes to delivering care to a patient. And ultimately, what we now know is that is incredibly important to do. And we have to do a better job of instead of saying, hey, you know, your, your doctor will see you and just talk to you about your meds. And then in the future, maybe somebody will call you, some coach will call you or community outreach, hopefully. And try. how do we bridge those two things together? How does it become one cohesive healthcare experience versus this bifurcation of health and care? Yeah. Is this just all kind of come to the root of our terrible reimbursement system? Is that is that the root cause of all of it? Or is it more complicated than that? This is part of it is being in fee-for-service and absolutely the incentive structure not being aligned for what is important as we think about paying for value and value-based care. Absolutely. That the more we go into a value-based structure and a risk-based structure, the more the incentives are aligned. It also is the way that the system was built was not just in the incentive structure, but in the brick and mortar of what is it, a hospital and where does care, where do you receive care? And again, the tricklings of this have now started to show some light on retail pharmacy being a huge player in healthcare, Amazon becoming a bigger player in healthcare, communities and what community centers are doing, religious institutions, grocery stores, and some of the biggest grocery store chains I do calls with because they know their role as a player in healthcare. So it is not, it is, yes, in large part the incentive structure, but there are other components of this that continue to create that divorce of health and care. Okay. So what's the path forward toward fixing it? What's the path forward and to what extent is it going to be traditional health, I'll call traditional healthcare players? 
reinventing themselves versus to what extent is it going to be new to the world ventures? And obviously in your shoes, you're focused more on the latter. I'm so curious for your perspective. Traditional players still maintain a very important role, but they can't do it alone. And so if you think about where the bulk of primary care is delivered in this country, it's not typically in tech enabled primary care. It is with the large incumbent organizations. Now that said, when I say they can't do it alone, digital plays a, a pretty transformative role in increasing access to care. And what we talked about at the top of the hour, which was empowering consumers to be better stewards of their health. And if you cannot do that, it's incredibly challenging to fix this problem. Because at the end of the day, you someone just told me now, I think the average provider, I thought it was like 14 to 20-ish minutes. Someone just told me now it's 11 minutes as average. I haven't uh, fact-checked that per se, but the time with your provider is so short that how do you then expect people in that short amount of time to get everything that they need to manage their care? And in reality, it's everything that happens around side that visit and outside that visit to make sure that visit is very powerful and that people are managing their care the 23 hours, six days a week that they're not in, in the provider's office and that they have the ability to be empowered with the data, the access to the data that they need, that they're connecting into the system so Jeff, you and I can become better stewards of our health. Good. So tell us about some of the ventures that either by specific ventures or the kinds of ventures that you are most excited about. Absolutely. We, I think I've talked enough about our thesis, but if there's one thing to take away today, please, again, what we're trying to build, there's so many things, there's so many problems in healthcare that are broken, but our true north is empowering informed, connected health consumers. Beyond that, there's a number of swim lanes for us that are really interesting. So Things like VertQuest Solutions for Chronic Condition Management. That's where Livongo plays. That's where our company Zurigo we invested in, focus on chronic skin conditions. Also, mental and behavioral health, particularly in severe mental illness. We've invested in a company called NoCV and OCV for obsessive compulsive disorder. Also, Brightline Health, which is focused on pediatric behavioral health. We're looking at health events, something that happens to you, whether it be MSK or oncology. This can be, for example, we did Jasper Health, which is helping people navigate their cancer care journey or recovery one in MSK. Also looking at vulnerable populations and how we can really ex extend access and reach. We invested in a business called Same Sky Health, a platform for multicultural populations. Also Business Caraway, I mentioned, which is the business focus on college-age women. And aging in place is also another component for us. I think that's interesting. A business called Home Thrive, which is helping family caregivers to support and engage their, their aging loved ones. So just a handful of uh, other swim lanes. I think we are opportunistic and we're very thematically driven. Our process is to really understand the landscape, identify where the players are, and figure out where we think that there's white space opportunity. But those are some that I'd say we're pretty excited about for the year to come. Cool. So I'm going to tell you about a question I often get, and I'm going to turn it on you. So this is about, you know, I wrote a book, as we've discussed, in 2019, and people sometimes ask, what would you have written differently now post-COVID? Or what did you fail to see 
you know, I get different versions of it. What, what did you fail to anticipate or what should you put more focus on? Or, or what have you just learned about code that makes your thesis different? And, and I think I say, you know, my overall kind of thesis about the need for healthcare to be transformed, become more consumer centric and empower consumers, et cetera, hasn't changed. But I think one area that I talked about tangentially was around the need to change the culture inside healthcare organizations and the challenge of, of culture change. But I think the workforce shortages is that, well, that thing that just completely was not on my radar three years ago. And it should have been, right? Because the trends were there in terms of the shortages and the demographics, but it just really smacked us all in the face three years later, just how you know healthcare delivery has to be reinvented because there's, there's not enough people being born to take care of all the people that have already been born. And there's going to need to be a technology solved for that. So anyway, that's how I tend to answer the question. If I want to go back to you and ask you, when you think about what you have as an organization have learned or how you think differently about investing in healthcare today versus what you knew in early 2020, what comes to mind? I don't think I ever could have predicted what kind of an accelerant COVID would be for digital health. You know, I've been doing digital health for almost 15 years now, um, but well before it was called digital health, when we used to call it healthcare IT. And I don't think I ever could have seen how rapidly we would need digital health. And there's so much work to be done on embedding it into the day-to-day of healthcare, which we talked a little bit about um, earlier on and some of the challenges with getting you know, integrating with incumbents. But the need for it was so spotlighted in COVID, which is only a good thing, but I, I'm not sure how else that we could have seen and we, we could have gotten the average consumer to see if it were not for the pandemic. Okay. So we issued a report recently called Transforming Healthcare, the Changemakers Playbook. And we wrote about these four focusers. I'm just going to pick one and see if you have a, a thesis or hypothesis. And it's this idea, because I don't, I don't think we've touched on it here in this conversation. And this is one we call here, there, and everywhere care. And really what we're getting at is care moving outside the hospital, right? Whether it's to homes, whether it's to work sites, whether it's to retail clinics, it's one of those things that we've kind of identified or we believe, other many have identified, but we believe is going to be a critical force going forward that cuts across all parts of the traditional healthcare ecosystem. The payers got to think differently. The providers got to think differently. The healthcare technology companies got to think differently. Do you have a thesis about about where the opportunity and potentially where the limitations are in, in this here, there, and everywhere care as, we, as, we, as we've dubbed it? Uh, very aligned and thank you for sharing the materials because for us meeting people where they are is very much part of our thesis we invested in a business called MetaRive, which is really extending care into the home using alternative providers like emts and so the importance of saying we talked about this a little earlier that you can't just get your your health from the four walls of the hospital that why can't healthcare be ubiquitous the way banking is why can't i pick up my phone and call a bank, use my mobile app if I want to, or walk into an actual location if I need it to. So whatever it is, we need healthcare to, to live like that. I actually don't believe healthcare should fully live in the home, should fully live in retail, should fully live online, but it should feel that kind of ubiquity that other industries do and have. Good. Last question for you. Any short-term guesses or prognostications you want to make. What is your hot trend that's going to emerge in 2023? Headliner is digital health is here to stay. Like whatever you're reading about 
the broader market dynamics and the market dynamics are rough right now. And don't get me wrong, but healthcare is resilient. Healthcare tends to be less affected. And the progress that we're seeing across our portfolio and others is too great to not continue to double down into digital health. What I do expect is to see some continued consolidation. So a little bit more on the M&A side where companies that maybe have raised a good amount of capital, maybe haven't met the milestones, seeing those either merge with other companies or continue to build in a maybe more thoughtful way than previous two years they had. Good. That's great. Well, thank you for sharing that. Alyssa Jaffe of Seven Wire Ventures, thank you for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Profits Healthcare Transformers podcast. This podcast is produced by Jared Johnson and his wonderful team at Shift Forward Health. And a big thank you to our hosts, Priya and Asia, Lindsay Mosby, Paul Schrimpf, and Jeff Gorgi. If you liked today's episode, you can find more great content like this at profit.com slash thinking. I'm Anna Kuno, the senior editor of this podcast. Thank you for listening.